You're listening to highlights from the Creative Process Interview with academic entrepreneur and author Julio Otino. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. By working at the Nexus, where art, technology, and science converge. I can give you a few words about how science, technology, and art work. Obviously, this is really complicated, so this will go to the core stereotypical components of this. So science builds on the past, and although science occasionally produces radical disruptions, like the Copernican worldview, evolution, quantum physics, and post-DNA molecular biology, the idea of incremental progress is wired into the very fabric of science. The biggest discovery of science is science itself is how science grows. In a normal mode, science is about methodically building another knowledge. So let's leave it in there that science is now the ultimate open source enterprise. The open source enterprise and the idea that the biggest discovery of science is science itself can be connected to Francis Bacon. Bacon's idea way ahead of his time was that if science was a shared enterprise, something that relied on a process or a method, it would not have to rely on occasional geniuses to advance. Technology, on the other hand, is both about building and disrupting. In a way not dissimilar to science, most technology follows the path and builds on what has been already accomplished. But disruption in either minor or major scales is essential for growth. The culture of technology embraces innovation and has developed the mythology of the garage. Now, modern art's aspiration, it's not on art, I'm talking about modern art, Modern art aspiration is uniqueness. Disruption and progress have little or no meaning. The challenge for contemporary artists is not to extend an existing historical cultural line, the role has been handed off to craft, but to break from that line and create a territory not already occupied, a new form of expression that is not necessarily better, but different and distinct enough to be recognized as a new space. Today's artists need a logo, a personal DNA that they can own. At best, art does not solve problems, it creates questions. There is no inevitability in art. The history of modern art appears to be driven by replacing and disavowing heuristics. So, because the science edifice is built layer by layer on the foundation of previous science. Newton's remark, the standing on the shoulders of giants, is built into the fabric. In technology, however, the only reason to stand on the shoulders of giants is to crush the elder giant. A new technology appears before the old one has run its course. And in art, now, it's a bad idea to stand next to anybody. Derivative is not a bad word in technology. Adaptations and remixes are good. But in art, derivative has a negative connotation. So I think that, if anything, the goal that we have in here is we go through life building these mental libraries. Education, really, that's the whole point. Is we build these libraries in our brains that give us this lens to see the world. There's more volumes in that library. And at some point, for many people, they are happy with the library. It's not a rational decision, but there is a resistance that new volumes, new information come. And if you cannot file it in exactly the right location in your mental space, it's not a space in that library for, this is the space for books to be filed at a later date or maybe discarded. I think that what conspires in having a frame of mind that becomes narrower is that the lens becomes more rigid. It probably can go deeper, but 
the lens that can allow you to see connections with other things, I think is the main impediment to coming with really interesting solutions. I really do believe that some of the most important things are to be found at intersections. And once you have put labels on things, I mean, there are exceptions. There are people who keep growing and growing and growing. You don't have to look very deeply into the world website to see that you are in the category of someone who absorbs information and like is curious. But many people at some point, they're happy with where you are, but assume that you are transported with your knowledge, but naked to the time of the Greeks. How do you convince these people that you think you know more than they do? Forget about convincing them with math. Most people cannot do it, okay? Biology, I don't know what you can do. So you have to recognize your own limitations. And the fact is we have built crutches that there are many things that we had that they were human competencies that have been outsourced forever now, like reading a map. Our ability to acknowledge, I mean, I remember not long ago growing up, being in the house of someone asking a question, the person having a big library behind and you ask a question and they could go pick a book, open it, and the answer was there. That was super impressive. It was like the pure manifestation of a cultured person that will have this information at the fingertips. Now, information is freely there. What we don't have is sometimes the ability to process, even with data, data that is just there without being managed. The number of people in science who are able to explain things to the outside in terms of metaphors is small. And still today, even though there are people who are able to market themselves better than in the past, people who are very good in communicating to the outside are kind of suspect. Carl Sagan, for example, there was a scandal. He was not elected to the National Academy of Sciences because some people, he was too popular. So you need to be able to explain things without thinking that reduces the rigor of the problem itself. But if you want to communicate the ideas to someone else, you have to find a way to produce some explanation that people can relate to. So Michael Crichton wrote the book and then there was a movie and he was crucified by many people for inaccuracies in the book. And he gave a speech at the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And he said, scientists complain that media doesn't understand them more than 25 years ago. But the opposite is also true. It is scientists who do not understand media. You need both things. There's still the number of people on science and technology who can explain things in a way that the broad public can understand is small. We need to do a better job on that. But the idea of explaining things in simple terms sometimes is good. Some things is hard to explain in simple terms because we don't live in this mechanistic world in which people can relate it to something that comes close to their experience. But it has to do with how we educate people who can be more respectful of opinions. I don't know if you've ever seen the debates Gore Vidal and William Buckley. These are two people who hated each other, nevertheless could have a conversation. I, I wish we could go back to terms like that. You want that kind of intelligent debate. Sometimes an idea comes complete because you found the last piece of the puzzle, but you had all the pieces and how lying in there. If I have had some good ideas, I cannot recall the moment in which the idea, I didn't have a eureka moment. In fact, I think that the idea of creative spark and epiphanies is one of the main impediments to people kind of explore more their creative ability. We tend to think of 
people in art are almost constantly inspired and that's not the case. They cannot see the sweat that you go show up and work. So that definitely means that there are no eureka moments, but I think to think about those as small things, there's a colleague of mine who wrote the book, the title is Eureka Moments. So they have, they study individuals, they wire them with things that they can see brain activity and they ask them to look at puzzles. Simple enough that if you're really close to the outside world and you think about this, you will be able to solve that. Like word puzzles, that kind of thing. Why the part of your brain is focused on that specific thing, there is some background part of your brain that is making more random loose associations. And at some point, the solution emerges and they can see that half of a second before it's verbalized. Yeah, there are things in which at some point you see something form complete way in your brain, but I don't think that that's how relativity or quantum mechanics or evolution came into being. It's a smaller thing. If you ask me, when was the time that I had the idea of doing something about this intersection? I cannot tell you. I mean, I have no idea when the idea occurred to me. Even ideas that I had, scientifically speaking, the idea that made my career in science and engineering is realizing that some elements of chaos could be visualized in terms of putting dye through it and seeing where it goes. It's an idea that if Poincaré seen that, he would have been able to realize many of things that he was thinking, but he couldn't visualize. And there were no computers to do what he wanted to do. There was nothing. However, you could ask the fluid to be the computer for you. That was an idea that maybe half of my career floated on that idea. I have no idea when the idea occurred to me. I remember trying, thinking about the idea, doing some paintings, putting some sketches, putting them on the wall. And at some point, the idea looked like it had been with me forever. But I don't remember when it was that it clicked. Other people may have different experiences, but sometimes you think this had been with you in some way or form forever. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or to learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.